regarding, and we have to distinguish that uh, caffeine as a chemical uh, substance uh, is something which is relatively new, uh, known uh, in the through biochemistry and so forth. Uh, but the the question is probably best asked: Was coffee banned in the time of the right? I mean, there's, there are there are statements concerning coffee that coffee contains the ingredient of caffeine or a substance of caffeine is something which is more recently known. Um, so if you look at the introduction of coffee into the Ummah, uh, you find that obviously in the time of the Prophet وسلم, and in the earliest Muslims, uh, the four Imams and thereafter, uh, coffee as a substance was unknown to the Muslims. There is no, there is no reference to coffee uh, until maybe, uh, let's say, the year 1050, 1100 Hijri, uh, you start finding references to coffee. And, and at first, the ulama uh, were in their difference of opinion concerning the substance. Uh, is this substance of coffee something which is uh, permissible to a Muslim to consume, or is it something forbidden? Uh, so the earliest scholars differ concerning that, like they differ concerning tobacco. Uh, but the end cons- con- uh, consensus or is that coffee is permissible for a Muslim to uh, to, to consume. That's the final consensus. Just like perhaps the final consensus now of the Muslims is that tobacco is something which is impermissible to presume. As Muslims became familiar with what the substance is and how it, how it reacts in the body, they found no principle in the Quran or the Sunnah which uh, shows that coffee is forbidden. Because the general rule is that foods and drinks are all permissible unless they specifically have been forbidden by Allah or the Prophet ﷺ, or they are harmful to the human body, only then is the substance forbidden. Is that okay? There's just one more question saying that is it permissible to drink in large amounts? Well, yeah. I mean, the, the point is, the point is drinking in large amounts, uh, the substance itself is uh, permissible to drink, whether in, in small amounts or large amounts. Now, if drinking large amounts of something causes harm to the body, irrespective of that uh, matter is in itself halal, then the Prophet ﷺ said, لا ضرر ولا If let us, I'm trying, I can't, nothing comes to mind now, but maybe there's a doctor in the audience or some medical student. Let's imagine there's some sort of ailment in which consumption of water would cause harm to the body. Huh? So, we'll actually say The Shaykh gives a better uh, statement. I mean, from the Quran, Allah Taala says, Allah says, drink but do not be uh, ex- excessive. So, so I mean, if if, if it, excessiveness in anything is, is typically harmful, and so therefore, in that in that sense, it'd be forbidden. Is that okay? Yeah. So I'm not going to steal more time from you. So I'm going to answer the question. So today's this next lecture will be the Quran and the Sahaba, and we'll let Sheikh Ali start with the Quran. Alhamdulillah, nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'firuhu wa natubu ilayh. ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم وبعد. Um, as we heard, the topic which is before us this morning is the Quran and the Sahaba. How did the Sahaba or the Prophet's companions understood the Quran? And um, before we, we enter into their understanding of the Qur'an, it, it helps us to define what we mean by the word Sahaba. I mean, who is a companion of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? That's the first thing we should start with. 
the scholars of hadith primarily uh, define the sahaba as whomever met as whoever met the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, believing in him and then dying upon that belief. So whoever met the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, believing in him. In other words, those people who knew the Prophet who might have even lived in close proximity with the Prophet and spent many hours of the day with the Prophet uh, from his relatives and so forth, if they did not believe in him while they were in his presence, they're not considered from the Sahaba. So for instance, Abu Talib, the Prophet's uncle, uh, who, who died an unbeliever, is not considered from the Sahaba. Even though Abu Talib raised uh, 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 um, even though Abu Talib defended the Prophet وسلم, the Prophet وسلم, was in Abu Talib's care when he was a, a young uh, a, a boy and the Prophet spent many years with Abu Talib in very close interaction and so forth but yet we do not consider Abu Talib to be from the Sahaba likewise the person has to have died upon Islam upon faith so in other words if somebody met the Prophet وسلم, believing in him but then afterwards apostated left the religion of Islam that person is not considered from the Sahaba and all that has to occur is a meeting a meeting it doesn't need that and the reason why they say a meeting is because uh, there were certain of the Sahaba who were blind who maybe have not seen the Prophet but yet they heard his words and they were in his uh, uh, presence okay so they're considered from the Sahaba uh, likewise a meeting because uh, it doesn't mean that they had to have been with the Prophet for long periods of time uh, those people who made pilgrimage with the Prophet وسلم, uh, and there were about 100,000 in his, in, his, in his farewell pilgrimage in the last year of his life والسلام, uh, they're all considered from the Sahaba even though many of them just maybe had saw him uh, during the Hajj and had no So, so the point is, is that the Sahabas who ever met the Prophet وسلم, and then you know, believing in him and meeting him and then died upon uh, Iman this is the, the generic definition of the Sahaba uh, of what we mean by, by the term Sahaba now so how did the Sahaba understand the Quran? Uh, in order to ask, ask, answer this question we should begin by asking ourselves how did the Prophet وسلم, teach the Qur'an to the Sahaba in other words I mean, if we want to know how the Sahaba understood the Qur'an the, the Qur'an didn't come from the Sahaba right? the Qur'an is Allah's words that Allah spoke these words were heard by the angel Jibreel and then the angel Jibreel conveyed these words to the Prophet Muhammad so how did the Prophet then teach or deliver the Qur'an uh, to the companions his companions his people who were around him well Allah tells us in the Quran uh, this. He gives us some of the functions of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, where in which Allah subhanahu wa taala says in a number of ayat in the Quran, amongst which is this ayah: "لَقَدْ مَنَّ اللَّهُ عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِذْ بَعَثَ فِيهِمْ رَسُولًا مِنْ أَنْفُسِهِمْ يَتْلُو عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتِهِ وَيُزَكِّيهِمْ وَيُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةَ." So here. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Allah has conferred upon the believers a great blessing in other words Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is telling us this is a blessing I've given to you so, so, so keep this in, 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 in mind you know for us as, as Muslims when we give charity right 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbids us, right? He says, do not render your charity uh, invalid, you know, by, by reminding the person that you've given him. I, oh, remember I, I, I helped you that day? I picked you up, I saw you on the road, and so forth. So this is, this is something which is, which is, which is un, unbecoming of a, of, a, of, a, of a human being. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He has allowed you to, to help this human being. You see what I'm saying? And, and you yourself have no really uh, uh, merit in that because it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who's blessed you to help Him and you can get the reward for that. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He's al-mannan. He reminds us of His blessings. So we thank Him and we praise Him. So here Allah is reminding us of His blessing. He said, لَقَدْ اللَّهُ Who did Allah bless? Meaning the believers. Okay, how did He bless them? إِذْ بَعَثَ فِيهِمْ رُسُولًا If He sent amongst them a messenger. A messenger from themselves. In other words, he's a human being like them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the first thing he did, he sent us a messenger. That's the first blessing. And the second blessing is that messenger is a human being like us. Because if that messenger was an angel, we would be unable to communicate with that angel. Right? If that messenger, for instance, was a, a jinni, we'd be unable to communicate with that jinni. If that messenger was maybe another creature of Allah Azza we'd be unable to, to communicate. But this is a human being like us. So we can deal with that person, we can, we, we can understand, we, can, we don't feel uh, shocked by the, the person's uh, appearance and so forth. So, min anfusihim. And then what, what does this messenger do? Allah tells us he does three things. Yathnu alayhim ayatihi. He recites unto them, unto the believers, Allah's verses, Allah's signs, ayat. In other words, he tells us, Allah said to you, such and such. Like we know in Surah Al-Ikhlas, Say to them, Allahu Ahad, Allah is one. Allahu Samad. You see? This is very clear. And also, he, he purifies their souls. How does he purify their souls? In other words, he teaches them that iman, and that faith, and that which we're talking about in this, in this symposium, he teaches them that righteous action, which we're also discussing, in order for their souls to be purified, so they can go to paradise. And then the third matter is, الْكِتَابَ He teaches them, he instructs them, in the book, which is the Qur'an, and the hikmah, which is the wisdom, or the sunnah of the Prophet So here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions two, two distinct functions of the Prophet Reciting unto them uh, his verses, Allah's verses. In other words, someone that said, this is what Allah has said to you. And also, another function of teaching them the scripture and the sunnah, the hikmah, the wisdom. So teaching is something which is more than just informing you, right? Uh, this is a classroom, right? So if, if the professor was to come and, and write on the uh, chalkboard and says, okay, today's lesson is from this chapter of this book, by this author. He's just informed you of the information, right? But that's different when the teacher then starts explaining that information, right? That's an additional task. So the Prophet ﷺ was sent with this additional task uh, of also explaining the message, not just delivering it. And again, we find this also another ayah in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ لِلنَّاسِ مَا نُزِّلَ إِلَيْهِمْ And we have sent unto you, meaning the Prophet ﷺ, the pronoun refers to Muhammad, we have sent unto you a zik, the reminder, meaning the revelation. Why? Why have we sent unto you this revelation? Allah tells us, to that you may clarify, and you may um, uh, 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 show and, 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 and make clear to humanity what Allah has sent down to them. So again, to explain and to clarify that. Uh, and the Prophet 
explain the religion, I mean from the Quran and its, its meanings, and also the religion in its entirety, to such a degree that he said, تَرَكْتُكُمْ عَلَى الْبَيْضَةِ لَا عَنْهَا إِلَّا The Prophet says in a hadith, I have left you on that clear shining path. This path is such that traveling on it, whether at night or at day, is the same. No one can swerve off this path except one who is, who is destined to, to be destroyed in the hellfire. And um, to give you an example, if, if you're, for instance, driving now on some country road here in Alberta, um, if you're driving at daytime, right, it's, it's very clear. You can see the road, huh? and you know not to swerve your car and go off the road or something like that, right? At nighttime, though, if there's no lights whatsoever, huh, it becomes very difficult to drive that road. Okay? And you might, I don't, I'm suggesting that you do this, but I one time tried it. Just drive your car a little bit and turn off the headlights on a, uh, on a road, you know, some great dark road, and, and see how it is to, to, uh, how to drive on it. So when you turn off your headlights and you're on this dark road, I mean, it becomes very difficult to, to, uh, to uh, wonder where your car is going. You're just in for a quick second or two. And so, but yet the Prophet left us on this clear path such that it's impossible for us to go off it unless we are doomed for destruction. Because night, traveling on night or day is, is a type of uh, 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 similitude, is the same. Is the same. And likewise, the Prophet said, I have not left for you anything which draws you close to paradise, except I have informed you regarding it. And I have not left anything which takes you far from the hellfire, except what I have, I have informed you for. So in other words, the Prophet ﷺ clarified this revelation that, that he received from Allah to such a degree there's nothing left. And that's why Allah tells us in Surah Al-Ma'idah that he has completed this deen. I have completed for you your deen. And I have perfected my blessings upon you. And I have chosen for you, or I am pleased for you, Islam as your religion. Now, the Sahaba understood this. In the farewell pilgrimage, the Prophet ﷺ, he asked the people there, did I not convey the message, right? And they said, yes. And they said, Allah, oh Allah, bear witness that they have said, I have conveyed to them the message. They have no doubts as to what this religion is about. And likewise, we find Abu Dhar, for instance, saying that the Messenger of Allah ﷺ died, and there is not a single bird in the heavens above uh, flapping its wings, except that he has taught us some knowledge regarding that. So it doesn't mean that the Prophet ﷺ was teaching them uh, uh, the intricacies of biology or, you know, of, or, or, or animals and so on. But it's, again, it's a similitude. That if you're just to imagine a bird flapping its wings, the Prophet ﷺ even taught us about that. There's nothing, nothing except that he's given us some knowledge regarding it. And concerning the birds, the Prophet ﷺ did teach us some things about them, right? He tells us in the Hadith of the Tirmidhi, right? That if you were to rely upon Allah, وكله, rely and trust in Allah as he, uh, des- as he deserves, right? He would give you your sustenance like the birds. They leave their nests in the early morning with their bellies empty and they return with their bellies full. So even the birds, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet said, gave us some knowledge regarding their activities. They have to wakil upon Allah. Now, so so the, the companions, they understood this. And as a result, the companions, in a practical way of learning the Quran, uh, they, they, they approached the Quran in a way which allowed them not just to learn its words, but learn its meanings. Um, Abu Abdurrahman al-Sulami, who is from the Tabi'een. The Tabi'oon are the second generation. They're the ones who didn't meet the Prophet ﷺ, but they met the Prophet's companions. So Abu Abdurrahman al-Sulami, he said that those who used to teach us the Qur'an, 
like Uthman bin Affan and Abdullah bin Mas'ud. Uthman bin Affan, of course, is a great companion of the Prophet He is the one who, by his command, that the copies of the Mus'haf were, were, were made and distributed throughout the Islamic uh, 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 world and the script that we use in, for writing the Quran is, is referred to as the Uthmani script and we call this in, the Mus'haf al-Uthmani in, in reference to Uthman ibn Affan and also Abdullah ibn Mas'ud who I spoke about last night was one of the Prophet's leading companions who took 70 surahs from the mouth of the Prophet himself so uh, Abu Abdurrahman al-Sulami is saying that those used to teach us the Quran like Uthman bin Affan and Abdullah bin Mas'ud and others, that if they used to learn from the Prophet wasallam ten ayats, they would not exceed that until they learned all which was incorporated or in, in, uh, in those ayats from knowledge and action. Okay? So here he's explaining how they used to learn the Qur'an. They would take ten ayats from the Prophet wasallam. they would not try to memorize another ten ayat until they had learned from the Qur'an, those ten ayat, they understood what it incorporated from knowledge and action. And so they used to say, we learned the Qur'an and knowledge and action at the same time. فَتَعَلَّمْنَا الْقُرْآنَ وَالْعِلْمُ وَالْعَمَلْ جَمِيعًا We learned the Qur'an, in other words, we learned its memorization of its wording, and knowledge and action at the same time. Uh, for this reason we find Abdullah bin Umar, who was one of the youth of the uh, Umar's son Abdullah, and also a scholar, when he grew up to be a man, one of the youths of the, of the Prophet's companions, uh, it took him eight years to memorize Surah Al-Baqarah. Eight years. Now, why did it take him eight years to memorize Surah Al-Baqarah? It's not because he was a slow in memory, or he was a weak student. It took him eight years because they were following this type of methodology for learning the Qur'an. They would take ten ayat, memorize it, and also learn what incorporated of knowledge and of meaning. And so that's why they used to say that if they used to find somebody who had memorized Surah Al-Baqarah or Surah Al-Imran, they used to think this was a, I mean, a scholar indeed. Because for them to memorize these surahs was not just to memorize its wording, but also to know what all it incorporates from knowledge and action. So if you knew Al-Baqarah and Al-Imran, I mean, you must have spent at least 15 years or 16 years studying. If it takes you 8 years for Surah Al-Baqarah, Al-Imran is a little bit shorter, so we'll say 7. Uh, so it takes you 15 years, let's say, to put it together. So this is, I mean, obviously um, uh, shows your scholarship. Now, uh, we also can understand this if we look at the matter from, a, from, a, from an argument of reason. In other words, if we look at the, uh, the, the issue of the Qur'an, by reason itself, it, we should expect that the Prophet's companions try to learn also its meanings and not just its wording. They also try to learn its meanings and not its wording. Why? Because if we look at human beings, you know, whatever human beings have something of importance to them, they not only will commit it to memory, but they will also are more eager also to, more than to memorize it, they are also eager to uh, understand it. Okay? I remember one of the first things they taught us to memorize when we were uh, boys in school, in primary school, was the Constitution, meaning the preamble of the Constitution of the United States, we the people in order to more form a more perfect union, and so forth and so on. And this was the first thing because, I mean, for the Americans, this is their, you know, I mean, important document. Okay? And likewise, uh, when you go through your school and your studies, whenever there's a, a textbook of importance, uh, it's, it's the, the practice that people explain the textbook. You know, you have your professor who come and he'll explain passages and he'll go over it and he'll talk about it and he'll have discussions and so forth because this is something where your studies are, are going to go, especially with law books. And we know, for instance, the Quran has a lot of legal 
uh, not just legal uh, laws, but also has a lot of legal principles and legal maxims and so forth. So, so this is something which we should expect. And likewise, we find that in the Quran itself, it condemns not paying attention to its meanings. I mean, the Quran itself condemns those people who do not try to contemplate its meanings. Uh, for instance, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says uh, concerning the unbelievers, Do they not try to contemplate and ponder over the Quran? Or is it that there are locks upon their heart? In other words, that the reason why they can't ponder it is because their hearts have been sealed by Allah and so therefore the meanings of the Quran cannot uh, penetrate uh, their hearts and their minds and their souls. And the Quran has been selected to be in the Arabic language for the purpose of it to be understood and to be thought about and to be contemplated and to be pondered over. We have sent down it as an Arabic Quran so that perhaps you, uh, the address is primarily to the, the people of Arabia at the time of the Prophet but it's generic to all human beings at all times because the Quran by its definition is a book for all of humanity to the end of time. Why have we sent it down as an Arabic Quran? That perhaps you may reason, you may think, you may uh, contemplate. And it is said that the Arabic language is such that it allows for this type of deep contemplation, the structure of the Arabic language and its form. And that's one of the reasons why Allah chose the Arabic language as a vehicle for His final revelation. Also, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala condemns the, un- the unbelievers for not, uh, for not uh, 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 contemplating or understanding the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, What is it with these people? That they can't even understand a single sentence. Now, what's wrong with them? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying. And also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala condemns the hypocrites by saying, Amongst them, amongst the hypocrites are those who listen to you, until when they leave your presence, They are with you, listening to you, and then when they leave your presence, Muhammad sallallahu they say to the, the knowledgeable ones among the Prophet's companions, what did he just say? So in other words, they were sitting there listening to the Prophet but they did not comprehend what he was saying. And so Allah is condemning them. So the, the Sahaba understood this. And Allah here in this last verse, as I, I, I mentioned, that he showed that there was people who utul who were given knowledge. So they could answer the hypocrites by saying what the Prophet was teaching, explaining it to them. And they applied this methodology. And likewise, they transmitted this methodology to the second generation. This, this way of approaching the Qur'an. We find among Ibn Abbas's students uh, a great scholar by the name of Mujahid who says, I presented the Mus'haf to Ibn Abbas three times beginning from its beginning to its end stopping him at each ayah and asking him regarding it. So here, I mean, uh, here this is just shows I mean, Mujahid's uh, zealousness to learn the Qur'an. He's taking the Mus'haf and for three times, not just once, but three times each ayah he stops at the ayah and he asks Ibn Abbas, what does this mean? What is this referring to? Concerning whom was it revealed? What was the context of this, of this ayah? So, for this reason, they, uh, the, the tabi'een also took it. And that's why you find a person from the third generation, Al-Thawri, Sufyan Al-Thawri said, if tafsir comes to you from Mujahid, suffice, that's enough for you. Because uh, Mujahid's great um, concern to learn the, the meanings of the Qur'an from the companion of the Prophet Ibn Abbas. Now, another thing which distinguishes the companions in understanding the Qur'an 
was the fact that they actually witnessed the revelation. In other words, the Quran was revealed, and you might say in two modes. Sometimes it was revealed in, uh, Allah would initiate a revelation concerning something. Other times it was revealed due to an incident that occurred. An incident would occur, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would send down some guidance regarding that incident. Uh, for instance, uh, uh, the uh, uh, very uh, important issue is uh, the Battle of Badr. Okay. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, d- d- uh, initiated uh, some uh, ayat regarding the Battle of Badr uh, to an incident that occurred, as we find in Surah Al Imran and elsewhere in the Quran. So, so here, the Sahaba who were participating in the Battle of Badr, their understanding of those ayat are going to be greater than the understanding of those who came after them. Because they actually witnessed why were these ayat sent down. So they, they're able to place the ayat in a context which those who do not witness the event are unable to, 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 uh, to place it in the same degree, and so therefore their understanding is greater. Another reason why the Sahaba's understanding was uh, greater uh, for the Quran is that their language, knowledge of the Arabic language. Uh, they say today in the world there is 150 or 175 million Arabic speaking people. But the Arabic spoken by the people today is not like the Arabic spoken in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Yes, people speak the classical Arabic and people who are trained in the Arabic language can understand the classical Arabic. I mean, there is, the language hasn't deviated so much that it's impossible to understand it. It's not uh, unintelligible, right? I mean, now if you came to an Italian and spoke to him in Latin, he would have no idea what you're saying, right? But, but, if you, but because the languages have changed so much but at the same time the Arabic has not changed that greatly but it has changed so the Sahaba because of their knowledge of the Arabic language uh, was, more, was greater and the Arabic spoken at the time of the Prophet their ability to just understand the Quran from its, from its just apparent meaning is, is greater okay. a fourth quality that the Sahaba possessed uh, which makes them um, uh, unique in this um, and I'd like to take, uh, take something from uh, Sayyid Qutb uh, he, he had a nice way of describing when he called them the unique Quranic generation Where, when they approached the Quran the Sahaba had a type of Iman this is something which is not uh, you know, something that you, that you gain uh, by, by learning a language or witnessing an event it's something more than that it's something in the heart they had in their heart a certain purity of, of, of intention a certain desire to please Allah, a certain obedience to Allah and His Messenger, a certain uh, a distance from, from following desires or, from, or trying to put the Qur'an, playing with the Qur'an for their own benefit, that allowed them to approach the Qur'an in a way which no other generation has been able to approach the Qur'an. And uh, Sayyid Qutb's description of that in, in my also is a very lovely uh, description that, I mean, I remember reading as a, as a young man, and, I mean, it really, uh, I think it... Uh, I mean, it opened my eyes to, to how the Sahaba were and the way they approached the Qur'an. So for the young people here, they might find that uh, interesting if they find the internet or the book. Uh, so the point is that they approached the Qur'an with that type of attitude as well. So this explains to us how the Sahaba understood the Qur'an. They were taught by the Prophet ﷺ. They themselves uh, witnessed the events. They spoke the language they approached the Qur'an due to their iman and due to their belief in a, in a certain way so they became the most knowledgeable of humanity regarding the Qur'an 
And this is why when it comes for us, now to bring it in, in our context, when it comes to us for understanding the Qur'an, it is important for us to understand the Qur'an in the way the Sahaba understood the Qur'an. So now if somebody was to ask, okay, uh, Brother Ali, I, I want to understand the Qur'an. I want to read Allah's book and I want to contemplate its meaning. How, how do I go about doing that? What is the method or the approach that I should take in learning the Qur'an and understanding it? Well, uh, first of all, we should understand that the Qur'an is a single book. Okay. And the nature of the Qur'an is such that sometimes Allah will talk about a topic in one passage and then we'll talk about the same topic in another passage in another surah. So in learning the Qur'an, the first thing is that the Qur'an has to be approached as an entire integral whole. In other words, we have to look at how the Qur'an explains itself. Um, for instance, we find we know in Surah Al-Fatiha, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Sirat al-Ladina an'amta alayhim The path of those whom you have blessed. The path of those whom you have blessed. So, whom you have blessed. This is a pronoun. Who, who are these whom? It's not, it, doesn't, it doesn't tell us in Surah Al-Fatiha. So it says, the path of those whom you have blessed. Guide us to that path. But, but whose, whose path is it? Well, if we read in Surah Al-Nisa, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Nisa, Allah says, أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ It is those whom Allah has blessed. And then he says, from the prophets, and the first and foremost believers, and the martyrs and the right righteous. You see? So by putting these two ayat together, then we understand that when we, when we recite in Surah Al-Fatiha, uh, to guide us to the straight path, the path of whom you have blessed, right? We know from Surah An-Nisa that those whom Allah has blessed are the prophets and the first and foremost believers and the martyrs and the righteous. Because Allah says in, in that verse, these are the ones I have blessed. Okay, so we can put blessed and blessed together we understand the context of this verse in greater detail. So this is the, the first way to understand the Qur'an, to explain the Qur'an by itself. And this is, this is something important, and this is something which is difficult, because it really needs, in order for a scholar to do it, it needs a scholar to be, uh, when he's looking at an ayah, uh, that he's, he really is he's looking at the ayah while remembering the entirety of the Qur'an. So in other words, when he sees an'amta uh, alayhim, his, his mind quickly reviews every single verse where Allah is blessing somebody. So he can stick it in the context of that verse. And that's why only the great scholars can explain the Qur'an by the Qur'an. So we have, for instance, in, in the last century, probably the greatest scholar of the last century, Shaykh al-Shaqiqi uh, from, um, from Mauritania, uh, who, uh, who has a very famous book on tafsir called Allah al-Bayan, where he explains the Qur'an in reference to the Qur'an. This is, I mean, it's a great book, you know, but only the, 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 the very well-trained scholars can actually you know, endeavor to take on such a task. Now the second way that we understand the Qur'an is when the Prophet ﷺ explains it to us. Because as we mentioned in the beginning of the lecture, the Prophet ﷺ, one of his functions was to teach the book. So how did he teach the book? Well sometimes the Prophet ﷺ would actually explain an ayah. Okay? And I'll give you an example. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says concerning the believers that they have al-husna wa ziyadah. They have al-husna, the best which refers to paradise, was ziyadah, and something more. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, the believers in the hereafter will have the best, meaning paradise, and something more. So what's that more? The Prophet said that ziyadah, this more is to see Allah azawajal. The believers, of course, will see Allah azawajal in paradise, as they will also see him on the stand of judgment. So, 
So this is this is what the more is, okay? So here since the Prophet I suddenly explained to us that this is the more. So this is this is what the more is, okay? Uh, for example, in Surah Al Fatiha, Ghayrul Maghdubi alayhim the Prophet said, those who have have, Allah, have incurred Allah's wrath are the Jews, and those who have gone astray are the Christians. This is the explanation of this ayah. Okay. So here the Prophet is specifically explaining the meaning of the of verse. We have given you a kotha. The Prophet asked his companions, Do you know what a kotha is? A kotha in the Arabic language means much good. Because it's the fa'ul form of the word, it means of, 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 uh, so it means much good. So he says, do you know what a kotha is? He said, kotha is a river which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given me in, in, in paradise. So, so this is the meaning of the kotha. We have given you this river in paradise. Okay. Now, the, another way the Prophet explains the, the ayat in the Quran is not by actually stopping at the ayat and saying this refers to this or this means that, but he explains it through his practice, his sunnah. And this is very apparent in, in many, many contexts. Uh, for instance, we find that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says uh, in Surah Al-Baqarah, Alaf Lamin, Dharik Al-Kitab, La Rayba Fi, Hudin Al-Muttaqeen, Aladina Yu'minuna Bil Ghaybi, Wa Yu'imuna Salah. Alaf Lamin, this is the book, it has no doubt, it is guidance for those who have taqwa. Who are those who have taqwa? Allah says, it is those who believe in the unseen, and they establish the prayer. Yu'imuna Salah. Okay, now if we're to go through the Quran, and, and, and put all the ayat on, on some papers, uh, concerning establishing the prayer. We would not be able to, to do the prayer that we pray our prayer with. That's, that's an impossibility. I mean, we would, we would notice that there's, for instance, we would notice that there's standing in the prayer, there's recitation of the Quran in the prayer, there's rukur in the prayer, there's sajda in the prayer, there's praising of Allah in the prayer. Okay, we would know that there's some generic prayer times at fajr, during the day, at night. Okay, we would be able to do some of the general rulings, facing the qibla, having tahara, purity. But the specifics of how to do that, we wouldn't know. And yet the Prophet ﷺ teaches us in such detail that the majority of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ are regarding two subjects, prayer and jihad. If you're to do a subject matter count of the Prophet's hadith, you'll find the majority are concerning prayer and jihad. And the Prophet ﷺ says, Pray as you see me pray. And his companions describe even what we might consider, to, uh, somebody might consider to be the most insignificant details of how the Prophet ﷺ prayed or was. I mean, now if you brought an unbeliever and told him, okay, you know, let's say uh, the most intelligent of the unbelievers, or even a regular Muslim, and, and you know, uh, not to bring an unbeliever, let's say a Muslim, an intelligent Muslim, and say, okay, you see the Shaykh praying, describe, you know, his prayer as you see him pray. But, so he might miss some of the small minor details. Like the Prophet ﷺ, when he used to place, make rukur, he used to uh, grab his knees and he used to open his fingers. You know what I'm saying? In other words, when he was holding his knees, his fingers were not together, but they were, they were open apart. Uh, the way that he used to, remember, he used to look at his finger when he would be moving it into shahud. I mean, very, 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 you know, minute, you know, uh, aspects of the Prophet ﷺ prayer has been conveyed to us. So this is a type of the explanation of the Qur'an. And the same thing can be said concerning zakah, uh, concerning the fast, concerning hajj, concerning marriage and divorce, buying and selling, uh, uh, dealing with unbelievers, jihad, all these aspects of religion, we find in the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, whether by his words or by his actions, a detailed exposition of the Qur'an. So this is part of the explanation of the Qur'an by the Prophet ﷺ. So we have the direct explanation when he tells us that a kothar is like a river in paradise, and we also have the practical expository explanation that completes actions in his words. Now, even if we were to do this, at the same time, we find among the Prophet's companions, sometimes them shedding light for us concerning the meanings of the Qur'an. 
that the Prophet's companions themselves also add life to the meanings of the Qur'an in the sense that we find that they say, like for instance, this verse was revealed regarding such and such context. Or they might say that this is the meaning of this verse. It doesn't mean like this. So how do they get this knowledge? They, they obviously learned it from the Prophet's of Allah or they deduced it themselves they were scholars in and of themselves but, but we, we imagine that most of the time they, they took it from the Prophet companions. and it's important here to point out that if you find that sometimes especially now with the translation which is a great uh, I mean, blessing to Muslims who speak the English language the abridgment of Tafsir ibn Kathir if you were to read this sometimes you might find the Prophet's companions giving more than one interpretation for a verse and it might, you might think at first glance that this is contradictory but it's real, in reality it's probably not and let me give you an example guide us to the straight path if somebody said the straight path is the Quran and a second person said the straight path is Islam and a third person said the straight path is the Prophet Muhammad's way are these statements contradictory? no because Islam is the Quran and Islam is the way of the Prophet Muhammad so, so, so what they've done is they've taken the reality of the straight path and each of them has expressed to the questioner what aspect of it. Okay? So if somebody asked me, Edmonton, what does Edmonton mean? And I said, it's a city in Canada. And another person said, it's a, it's a, a city in Alberta. And a third person says, it's at latitude such and such and longitude such and such, right? And a fourth person says that it's weather such and such and such. This is not contradictory. This is all expression of the same reality for this city called Edmonton, but in different ways. So that's not, that's, not, that's not contradictory. And sometimes if you find them concerning the revelation of an ayah, where they say this, the, the, the cause of its revelation or sending down was such and such, another companion says the cause was such and such, it can mean that sometimes the ayah was revealed more than once. I mean, sometimes Allah will reveal the same ayah more than once depending upon the context. Uh, that another incident, similar incident. Or sometimes, and this is a peculiarity of the Arabic I guess the Arabic speech is that sometimes when they would say it was revealed such and concerning such and such, they don't mean that it was actually revealed because of this, but they meant that this incident is a similar incident to what it was revealed it for. So they're, they're in that in that context, amen. So you have to be sort of careful for that. Now, the next source for understanding the Quran after the Sahaba is the Tabi'in, the Prophet, the Prophet's companion students, the second generation, especially those who were known for their scholar. The uh, 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 qualities regarding the Quran, like Mujahid, who takes the Mus'haf and uh, you know uh, three three times stops the, uh, Ibn Abbas in each ayah asking him concerning its meaning and what was revealed for and so forth. So this is why there, there are statements concerning uh, the Tafsir of the Quran is something to be paid attention to. And uh, the other matter is from the Arabic language. I mean, in the end, the Quran is an Arabic book and it addressed the Arabic people. The Arabs were those amongst them who were, who were the, what they used to call them, the, the geniuses of the Arabs, uh, uh, who were known to be just, just wise men of the Arabs. And there were among those Arabs, like that Bedouin, um, from the companions of the Prophet who comes into the Masjid and urine doesn't know that, uh, that this is uh, a place of worship that shouldn't be done like that. So, I mean, as human beings, any group of people are going to find very intelligent and not so intelligent, not so wise and so forth. No. So, but the Quran was to be a book for all of humanity. It's not a book for the elite, for just the, the very intelligent, the very scholarly, and so forth. And so, therefore, the Arabic language, when it's understood the basic meanings of the Quran, what's called the usul, the fundamentals of the religion, like 
worshipping Allah alone, not associating with Him, uh, being kind to one's parents, uh, 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 establishing the prayer, paying the zakah, fasting the month of Ramadan, doing the hajj, uh, not engaging in riba, doing buying and selling in halal means, uh, and good character, uh, and so forth, uh, to be forgiving, to be, to be patient, to be grateful, and so forth. These basic principles of, of belief, and action, and character, and morals, has been expressed in the Quran that a person, if they read the Quran, and even the meanings of the Quran in English can understand the basic message of the Quran. You see. So the Arabic language also is a means by which we can use to understand the Quran due to its, the, the, the expressive nature of the Quran. It's not a book of riddles and it's not a book only sent, but it's sent to all of humanity, uh, not a book just sent to the elite. Now, there's a final thing which we have to be aware of, and this is which, concerning which has been condemned in the Quran and in the Sunnah, which is explaining the Quran by our own opinion. This is something which is very dangerous. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said concerning the, the, some of the major sins, and that you speak regarding Allah that which you do not know. And in some of the narrations upon the Prophet, even though they have some weakness in the chain of narration, the Prophet said that he who has, speaks of the Quran from his own opinion, then let him take his seat in the hellfire. And also one time it's, it's reported the Prophet said that even if he's correct, he has still erred. In other words, that even though he, maybe by guessing, he has come to the right conclusion in the meaning of the verse, but he still erred because you're not allowed to speak of the Quran from your own opinion. Now this doesn't mean that a person doesn't reflect upon the Quran, that scholar cannot apply the Quran to new contexts and new events in human life and history, but it means that the sense that you just, you know, uh, sort of introduce to the Quran its meanings which have no, you know, bearing whatsoever. Okay. And so one has to be very careful. There's a tendency, especially here uh, in North America, uh, due to the lack of scholarship and, and scholars, and because Muslims are always being challenged by the unbelievers to explain their religion, that we sometimes find ourselves that we, you know, delve into matters of the Quran which we may not know the meaning of. And we should avoid doing that because it incurs a great sin. But rather, if we're asked uh, concerning the meaning of the Quran or a passage in the Quran to which we do not know its meaning, we should just remain silent. There's no shame in to say, Allah knows best. I am not a scholar. I don't know the passage, this meaning of the passage of the Quran. However, we can maybe search and uh, find somebody to explain it to us and not to feel that one is obligated to say something to which one does not know. Anyway, those were some uh, thoughts concerning understanding of the Quran by the Sahaba and how we should understand the Quran. And inshallah ta'ala, maybe through the questions and answers, um, we can uh, bring out some more of that. And of course, if we have any comments from uh, our esteemed... Uh, مشايخ شيخ جعفر وشيخ عبد الله تؤاد ذلك أقول خول هذا الصفالي ولكم سبحانك اللهم بحمدك أشهد أن لا إله أنت أستغفرك وأتوب إليك وجزاكم الله خيرا. So I'm going to repeat the questions once again just so we can get them on the internet for the people and as well people don't hear. So if there's questions, feel free to ask. Is there any questions? Yeah. Um, So just to say, it says, is it uh, dangerous to read the Quran by yourself, or should you read it with an alim so that you don't uh, have misinterpretation of it? 
there, there's two matters here which we need to we need to make very clear, distinct in our minds. Re- reading the Quran and reciting Allah's words is an act of worship by which Allah wants us to worship Him by. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ said that when you recite the Quran, for every single letter you recite, you get ten rewards. I do not say that Alif La Mim is a single letter, but Alif is a letter, Lam is a letter, Mim is a letter. So the actual reciting of Allah's book and worshipping Allah through reciting His words is a virtuous act which Allah, our Creator, wants Him to worship us by reciting His words. Okay. Now comes the other matter about understanding His message that He has sent to us human beings and to the jinns. And how do we now act upon this message after we've understood it? So here, as I mentioned, there are certain clear things in the Quran that it doesn't need necessarily a scholar to explain to you. I mean, when you come to the verse in Surah Al-Isra, وَقَدَ رَبُّكَ أَلَّا تَعْبُدُوا إِلَّا إِيَّاهُ وَبِالْوَالِدِينِ إِحْسَانًا When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And your Lord has decreed that you worship none but Him, and you do all forms of kindness to your parents. Okay. I mean, when you read this verse, it, it, there's, I mean, there's not much that you know, needs to be explained to, to, to a human being. I'm only supposed to worship my Creator. I'm not supposed to take any other human being, or any other creature, rock, stone, or whatever, as my object of worship. And I'm supposed to do all forms of kindness to my parents. So this is something that human beings can understand, right? When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you know, فَمَنْ شَهِدَ مِنْكُمْ الشَّهْرِ That he who, who, who comes across the month of Ramadan, let him fast it. This doesn't need much explanation. I know now that I'm in Rabi'i uh, al-Thani, it's not Ramadan. Huh? This is not the month of fast. When Ramadan comes in four months from now, five months from now, now we're in the month of fast, this is the time to fast. This is an apparent meaning of the Qur'an. Now there comes other things which are very, very, very uh, particular to that. And even those two examples I gave you, if you were to look at the verses very clearly and contemplate the, the, the way that the, the verse has been composed and the, the grammar, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, uh, lots of uh, meanings to it, okay? So for instance, they say, uh, like in the first verse, وَبِالْوَارِدِينِ uh, okay? And unto your parents, إِحْسَانًا, okay? So here they say in the Arabic language that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't mention a verb in, in, in this thing, it said, and unto your parents good, right? It therefore means all forms of good and not a specific form of good. And so that's why not a specific form was mentioned in the ayah, but it was left open. So that any form of good to your parents you should do, you see. Not a specific type of good, okay. So now, now so this is obviously an additional meaning that one would get. But the general meaning of the ayah, people would understand. Now, should one not read the Qur'an unless he has a scholar with him? No. But when you have a passage in the Qur'an which is uh, difficult for you to understand, okay, you should do what the Prophet's companions did. They asked the Prophet Muhammad And in your case, you should ask those who have inherited the knowledge which the Prophet left to humanity, which is the knowledge of the religion of Islam. So those who have studied it and learned it, seek them out and, and, and learn and ask them. You know, I always suggest to young brothers and sisters, keep a little notebook with you whenever it pops in your mind a question regarding your religion, jot it down, and whenever you have an opportunity to come across somebody, you can ask them, and, you know, inshallah, these things will be cleared up. Now, so. If there's anyone that's uh, too bashful to ask a question, you can also write it down and give it to anyone that has the organizer patch on them, and they'll pass it up to us, and we won't even know who asked the question, so feel free. At this point, I guess if there's no more questions, we'll take a break, and we'll start again at uh, 10 after 11. So please... Try and be in your seats. Also, leave something on your seats so no one takes it. Okay, so leave a jacket or a book or something. Is that okay with uh, 